Captain America throws his mighty shield. The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. You're different. Now, don't let anyone tell you that you have nothing to offer. Second chances don't come around all that often. I suggest you take a really close look at it. Hello everyone and welcome to a special episode of ETA Presents the Marvelverse Podcast. My name is Willis Kim and I am flying solo. Yes, just like Johnny Storm when he left the Fantastic Four for a bit, I am flying solo. There's no Steve Nostro, there's no Nikki Amy, and there's no James Hypel. The reason for that is this. First of all, Nikki unfortunately is ill. I don't think she can even make it to a microphone. And unfortunately her illness is affecting her voice, so she may not come back until... AOS comes back with the last few episodes for this season 4. James Hayfall is hanging out with his significant other at this moment, and I'm just assuming that Steve Nostro is not physically able to make it to a microphone through illness or through technical difficulties, so you'll be hearing me review episodes 7 through 13 of Marvel Television slash Netflix's series, polarizing series I should say, Iron Fist. Before we get to that, I want to mention a programming note because I do not like lying to our audience and I like to be as truthful as I can with our audience. We will not be covering FX's and Marvel Television's series Legion the first season, at least not for a little while, because James and Nikki told me through Facebook message that they're really not interested in watching or reviewing this series right now, and Steve Nostro is not able to watch the first season of Legion even though he wants to. I have all the episodes of Legion on my TiVo currently, but, and here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to review an entire season just by myself. I don't like listening to just my own voice, even though people have told me I'm a good speaker. I don't think it's very compelling or interesting to just listen to one person just rattle off an, an entire review, especially when it's their own opinions about an entire season of 11 episodes. So I think what we're going to do is wait until season 2 begins, because Legion has been renewed for a second season. We may review the first season just before the second season debuts, and then and, and then we will give our thoughts. But I don't want to just review an entire season by myself. And the only reason that we're do, that I'm doing the 7 through 13 of Iron Fist right now is because I said next week we will talk about episode 7 through 13 of Iron Fist. And I'm one of those people, if I'm physically able and capable to do something, I will do it to the best of my abilities. That's always been my thing with everything that I do. And that is why I'm reviewing these episodes by myself. So, as we get into our Marvel news for this week's episode, a lot of advertising material came out this week, but before we get to that, I want to mention something that happened earlier this week, and it's in regards to leaked Black Panther footage of the opening chase scene that's being shot right now in South Korea, and people are saying that it looks too similar to the Dark Knight's chase scenes, and I just have to say this, 
Um, it is very hard, especially since we've seen so much content out. And when I'm saying we, I mean the audience that watches TV shows and movies. It's hard for us as an audience to differentiate chase scenes, and it's even harder for the people that do chase scenes to do them differently. I don't see what the big hubbub is about. Because a chase scene is a chase scene. It's very hard to make them look different because stylistically, much like a sword fight, you are going to see a lot of, a lot of similarities. I think it's one of the, the opportunity for the geek trolls, no matter what fandom they're claiming to be a part of, they are trolls, to just nitpick at things just to, for the sake of nitpicking. I don't think it's that much different than The Dark Knight. But I don't really think that matters. I think people are just making mountains out of molehills here as far as the chasing. And even if it looks like the Dark Knight trilogy, so what? It's one scene. And we're going to see two, two possibly two and a half hours of things that look nothing like Batman. So I just want to get that out of the way. If you have a difference of opinion, please tweet at us using the hashtag Marvelverse Podcast or leave us an email with black with the subject line Black Panther Chasing at across the airwaves at gmail.com and as long as you keep it civil, you will read it on the end. Also some Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 related news. First of all we got some brand new character posters. Marvel's I don't even know what the words what the words will be. Marvel's creative advertising department does an amazing job with these posters. Amazing job job with the advertisements for promoting new live action things and not even new live action things. They do good great job even promoting their animated series. Even though not a lot of like the older people that watch live action Marvel films and TV shows watch the animated, but I still think you should give them a shot. I think these Guardians of the Galaxy posters are keeping in line with, with the, the overall look of what Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, what we've already seen in the trailers. I really like just like the kind of splash panel 3DS, like almost looks like these characters are coming up at you when you look at these posters. I think they're beautiful. And if I was into mat- matting and framing posters and putting them on my wall, I would totally get these. But being a kid that moved around a lot, I've never been in the mode to put up posters on my wall. Just a thing that I do or a thing that I don't do. Also, also this week, kind a kind of big news, but we all knew that it was coming. Um, the announcement of the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 tickets being available for pre-order online. I did this for opening night. I always try to see things opening night because I do not want the internet spoiling anything for me. I will say this though, and I won't mention his name because I don't want to get him in trouble. I have a buddy that works at Marvel in New York City. He works for Marvel. He got to see an advanced screening of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. He says it's just as good as the first one, maybe even better. The music's even better and even more catchy. I trust this person's opinion. I think this person has always been more than fair with his reviews, and not just because he worked. This person works for Marvel. I want to see this movie even more now, and I'm very pleasantly, not not pleasantly surprised, but pleasantly, 
I, I don't even know what the words I'm thinking of. Pleasantly reaffirmed. There we go. Pleasantly reaffirmed that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is just as good, if not better, than the original. It's, it's gonna be kind of a risky thing, though, for, especially for the geek sphere, because the news broke out that James Gunn, his script is not necessarily based on any past Guardians of the Galaxy work in the, in the source material at Marvel. But, with that said, Guardians of the Galaxy wasn't the most well-known title at Marvel Studios. It was not the most well-known property. Even I had to look up Guardians of the Galaxy again to understand what it actually was before the first movie came out in 2014. I'm just very excited hearing this news from my buddy who works at Marvel, and I'm even more excited now that I got my ticket for opening night. But moving on to some non-Marvel Cinematic Universe news, there has been a rumor that negotiations have started with Michael Shannon playing Cable in the Deadpool scene. Now, I don't I do not necessarily have a horse in this race because, like I said, Deadpool is not a favorite of mine. I don't think he's bad, but I'm just not the biggest fan of Deadpool. And that's because I am a story guy, and Deadpool really doesn't need a story to be entertaining. That being said, I love Michael Shannon and almost everything that he's done. I loved him as General Zod in Man of Steel. If he gets this role, I'm I'm 90% sure that we will not see General Zod again in the DC Extended Universe. I'm not going to go into the circumstances of why that is, because Man of Steel is available, and so is Batman vs. Superman on physical format and on digital. I I think this is the perfect choice for um Cable, because Michael Shannon has these intense eyes that literally look like they can burn a hole in you. Also, he does have this very... I've seen this in interviews. He has a very dry, almost... Almost so dry that he chafes sense of humor, and that really fits with the Cable character. I know James Hayfield and Nikki Amy feel differently, and we'll get we'll get their opinions on this on a later podcast. But I think this is wonderful casting. One last bit of news, actually two things of news I should say, and this is late breaking news, and I just misspoke again because I just remember one other thing that we need to talk about. But speaking of late breaking news, my my buddies that run the Marvel Cinematic the Marvel Cinematic Universe fan Facebook page, you try saying that five times fast, posted a new logo for the Inhuman show that's going to be released. The first three episodes are going to be released in the IMAX format theaters or cinemas and and the the rest of this the season will be released on ABC later in September. So the first three episodes of Inhumans will be shown in IMAX IMAX cinemas on September first and the entire series will be shown on ABC, I I think September 21st, but I could be wrong. This new logo for Inhumans doesn't look that different from the logo that we've gotten. The reason you hear hesitation in my voice is this, and I'm going to level with our audience here for just a second. The same guy that was the showrunner for the first season of Iron Fist is the same showrunner that's going to be the showrunner for Inhumans. And I'll get into this when we get into talking about this last half of episodes proper, but to say the least, and I think I said this in the intro, Iron Fist is very, very polarized to a lot of people. You either really like the series or you really don't. I Now having seen or having heard people's opinions who I respect as critics, I can see why 
people think that this is not a good season. But going back to humans, I'm really wondering if Jeff Loeb and and company and the people who work for him are really are really a hundred percent. I don't know if the term scared would be a right term, trepidatious maybe a better term of how this series will be received, seeing that the same guy that did Iron Fist is doing the Inhumans. And like I said a couple of weeks ago during our Logan discussion, the people listening to podcasts such as this one, they know who the showrunners are, who the stars are, who the executive producers are going to be, who the writers on these particular shows are going to be. They know almost everything that is released. A lot of the viewers do not know who writes, directs these shows, even with the credit they see on screen. So, who knows? The showrunner of Inhumans, also the showrunner of Iron Fist, could not get out of the park with this one. I'm not sure if he will, because Iron Fist is not being treated like the worst thing ever, but of the four Defender series in the street-level Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's getting the least praise, and I'll get into more of why in a bit, but this leaves me a bit of trepidation on my part just knowing this fact. But I will see the first three episodes in IMAX, because I'm really interested what the television format's going to look like using these IMAX cameras, and how that's going to translate to a big screen in an IMAX cinema. Another piece of advertising news that we got late last week, actually, just a couple days ago, and I thank my friends over at Superhero News, Spider-Man News, and MarvelStudiosNews.com. It's Chris Bagley and one of the people that works with him, Sean Gerber. Please check them out on on the Superhero News YouTube channel, and please subscribe to their podcast. They do wonderful work. And they released some, or they re-released, I should say, some posters for the upcoming Spider-Man Homecoming movie. And I have to say, I don't know I don't know the ins and outs of this deal between Marvel Studios and Sony Pictures for the rights to share Spider-Man. I do not know all the ins and outs. I don't know the minute details of everything that goes on. But I have to say, if Sony is letting Marvel control the advertising or how the advertising for this film is going to be represented, I think they did a wonderful job in letting them do that because I love and I told one of my buddies this Paul Hartman on Twitter this exact thing I'm about to say these posters look like covers of Spider-Man comics I love the kind of nonchalantness I don't even know if that's even a word of Peter Parker Tom Holland Spider-Man I love the the not-so-subtle homages to the fact that Spider-Man is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And like I just said a second ago, there's a lot of people that go into these cinemas without having any knowledge that Spider-Man is going to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And James Hetfield even said this on a couple of previous podcasts this year in our news section, that he's feeling a bit of Spider-Man fatigue, and he's kind of done with the character of Spider-Man in the sense of, we've already got two different versions of the wall. We've already got two different actor portrayals of the wall crawler in live action. And possibly, you know, an animated cinema release of Miles Morales later this year. But with Spider-Man being in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Marvel and Sony need to relate to the audience that does have the Spider-Man team. That he is in the same universe as Thor, as Hulk, as Iron Man, as Black Widow. And that he will potentially in this film, even though we know Robert Danger will reprise his role as Tony Stark for this film, that he will be interacting with a lot of the Avengers, and I think this is a great way to do it, because 
People love movie posters. People love, even though a lot of people don't like going to the cinema, they love going to the cinema and seeing these movie posters in glass. I really like this last one that we got, I think, Friday afternoon. Oh no, Saturday afternoon, I'm sorry. Of Spider-Man being on the street sign that says Queens one way and Brooklyn the other way. Are we possibly going to see Tom Holland's Spider-Man interacting in a mid-credit or post-credit scene with with Chris Evans, Captain Steve Rogers. I don't know if we will see this or not. If this is the case, I think it's something that both Sony and Marvel want to keep under wraps just because they really want to surprise people. And Chris Evans hasn't spoken about his involvement in Spider-Man Homecoming. But it's something that I would really be interested in. Or the possibility of Spider-Man climbing on that copper statue in Brooklyn that Marvel put up of Steve Rogers. I think that'd be a wonderful way. A, a nice little Easter egg on many levels for the fans to see Spider-Man crawling on the copper statue of Captain Steve Rogers. One other thing that I wanted to talk about, and I'm sorry for going on and on on the news, but we got a lot of news this week about the Marvel cinematic universe and beyond. Chris Evans said in an interview, I, I can't remember where where he said this. I saw I saw this once again, thank you to my friends over at MarvelStudiosNews.com for posting this really late breaking news that Chris Evans is open to re upping his contract to play Captain Steve Rogers in more Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Now, I stand by what I said last week with Chris Evans maybe wanting to move on to directing after his Marvel Cinematic Universe contract is up. And I still completely support him in wanting to do that. But this does not surprise me that he doesn't, doesn't want to put his shield away and not be Steve Rogers anymore. He has a lot of respect for the character. Kevin Feige has a lot of respect for Chris Evans as the role of Captain America. He said in an interview early or late last summer, I think it was late last summer, doing the press internationally for Captain America Civil War, that he views Chris Evans in the role as Captain America as he does, and this is Kevin Feige talking, as Feige does Christopher Reeve in the role of kal slash Superman slash Clark Kent. I think that is a major compliment, one that I agree with. And and Chris Evans said this in, in the interview. I posted this article on the ATA Google Plus and Facebook page so you can check them out over there. He said, Chris Evans said that he loves playing the role of Captain America because of the wonderful stories that Marvel Studios tells and the great things he gets to, to do. He, it is a, a kind of a pain in the butt for him to get in shape for the role of Steve Rogers, but as long as, and once again, I'm reiterating, I'm paraphrasing here, but once, if Marvel keeps churning out wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stories that he gets to be involved in as playing Steve Rogers, he's more than willing to re-up. We've seen this with Robert Denny Jr. and the Marvel Cinematics. The Robert Denny Jr.'s contract was essentially over after Iron Man 3, and they've just been re-upping his contract to do more appearances in these films per appearance. This is why he was in Captain America Civil War, because I've said this at least two times on this podcast, that Robert Denny Jr. wasn't supposed to even be in the third Captain America movie. The Russo brothers and Kevin Feige and I even think Chris Evans were involved in, in not convincing him, but to persuade Robert Downey Jr. to be Iron Man in Captain America Civil War. If he wasn't going to be in it, they were going to do an entirely different story than Civil War. Remember the title, Captain America Serpent Society? 
and John Watt, the director of Spider-Man Homecoming, and Kevin Feige persuaded Robert Downey Jr. to play Iron Man in Spider-Man Homecoming, which he was not even slated to do when Spider-Man got, got introduced in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it's more than possible to see Captain America in other Avengers films. I would like to see one more Captain America film. Like I said about seeing a fourth Iron Man film, I want to see that as well, but I don't necessarily need to see it. Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. have done remarkable work as the characters of Iron Man and Captain America, respectively, and I don't think you need to see them, or the audience needs to see them, in their own solo movies every two years. I think it would be a more of a special occurrence if we did see them as, as co-stars or supporting characters in Avengers or other people's movies. I think that would be more feasible. But again, I'm. But the bottom line is, I'm very happy here that Chris Evans is more than willing to play Captain America beyond his initial contract. I don't think he's going to get the same amount of money as Robert Downey Jr. gets to play Tony Stark. Not at all. But at this point, he. I'm more than confident that he will. He being Chris Evans will get a payout. One last bit of news, and it's not really a, a news item, I just felt that it was interesting to point this out. James Gunn, the director of both Guardians, the, the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and this is once again through the Facebook page, Marvel Cinematic Universe, to give them a like, and it was actually my buddy Tim Costello who posted this news, that James Gunn has seen the trailer for Taika Waititi's Thor Ragnarok, he said it's the best Marvel Cinematic Cinematic Universe trailer that's ever been put out that's saying a lot because the Captain America Civil War trailer was excellent. The first Iron Man trailer, the original Iron Man trailer was excellent. Iron Man 3's trailer was really good. Basically all the Iron Man trailers were really good. And and he's even including the Guardians of the Galaxy trailers. This is this is making the hype train for Thor Ragnarok even stronger. And and James Gunn is not just being a company guy. He's a very honest, he's a very genuine guy, and when he says that Taika Waititi's Thor Ragnarok theatrical trailer is the best trailer that Mar the Marvel Cinematic Universe has put out, that makes me want to see this trailer this trailer even sooner. I think within the next few months, probably around either the release of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 or Spider-Man Homecoming, that we will see a trailer for Thor Ragnarok slated to come out in November. I love, I've loved Taika Waititi's work. I loved what we do in the shadows, which is on Amazon Prime, if you have Amazon Prime right now. And because we promoted it so much, Hunt for the Wilder People is on Amazon Prime as well. So for those of you who have Amazon Prime, please watch both of those movies. They are fantastic. It will give you an idea of what kind of a director Taika Waititi is. And from what we've seen in the Doctor Strange digital release and Blu-ray, and what we've heard in interviews about this film. I can't wait to see Thor Ragnarok. It's going to be the Thor film that we've all been waiting to see since the first Thor movie. It's say what say what you want about the second Thor film. I've had my own I've had my own issues with it. I think it's probably the weakest of the cinematic releases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There are some good spots in there. And I think with Mark Ruffalo, with Tessa Thompson, with Chris Chris Hemsworth, with Tom Tom Hiddleston, with with Benedict Cumberbatch, with Carl Urban, with Jeff Goldblum, with Sam Neill, with 
with all these, I'm, bl I'm blanking on, with Kate Blanchett, I'm sorry, with all these wonderful, wonderful performers. I think we're finally going to see the Thor film that we, we've been wanting to see. So much so that I think after this, we're, we're probably going to be seeing ourselves, where's the fourth Thor? I just can't wait to see this trailer, and we, and we will be definitely covering it on a future episode of the Marvel Podcast. Alright, now let's get into our main event. Before we get, before we get going, and this is about episode 7 through 13 of Iron Fist. And by the way, major spoilers! Major spoilers! Starting to sound like I'm doing my way, my well voice from Finding Dory. Major spoilers! Before we get into this, the the back half of the season proper, I listen to more more of the critics and or reviewers that I respect, and I have to say this: even though I like the character of Danny Rand playing by played by Finn Jones, I hear what the reviewers are saying, and I concur unbiasedly with what they said about Finn Jones. Unfortunately, Iron Fist is the weakest part of this of this season. He's the weakest character, and it. Thinks because when he is the title character, you want him to be not even not even more confident in himself, more of an amenable, appealing, even more interesting character. Dare say interesting than he is. I relate to Danny Rand because much like him, I felt like an outsider in my life with my family, with the people that I call my friends, but they don't really consider themselves my friends. I felt the kind of hostility and the frustration in the outside world telling me what you should do with your emotions. I totally understand that. I think it's because Danny Rand is such a good-looking, cute guy, and he doesn't seem out much like Thor. He doesn't—he doesn't outwardly seem to have many physical problems, and the way he comes about expressing his emotions isn't the best way or the most amenable way that most people convey their displeasure about their emotions. And I think that's why he gets a lot of antipathy from critics and, and viewers alike. I I can see now why people have said what they said. I I also see where people do not like the Meachams, Joy Ward or Harold Meacham, because they think it's too Dynasty or or Gossip Girl or One Tree Hill esque soap opera, or even if you want to go to daytime soap operas. Too much young and the restless. Here's the thing. Iron Fist is very much a melodrama that was promoted as an action series. And I think that's why a lot of people, and I can understand their frustration, but I think if you go back to that New York Comic Con teaser that we got when Danny Rand's mentor is telling him people may seem like they're friends, people may seem like they're lovers, people may seem like they're family, but don't judge a book by its cover. And I think with the Meachams, it it does seem a lot like the OC or Gossip Girl in t terms of the writing for them. And here's the thing, and a lot of reviewers won't say this because they don't want to look catty and they don't want to look shallow. Reviewers and critics, at least not, the not honest ones, and not saying that I don't like these people, I do, but for reviewing purposes, will never admit out loud. They do not like melodrama. They do not like soap opera. They do they do not like the overly hammy emotional strife between two characters, especially rich characters in 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 suits on their TVs or on their cinemas. They don't like it. They never will like it. And because of this fact, that is why they bash melodrama. 
I can almost guarantee you, if we get an Iron Fist Season 2, which post-Defenders, I'm pretty sure we will get. If we're going to get a second season of Jessica Jones and a third season of Daredevil, we are definitely going to see a second season of Luke Cage and Iron Fist. I do think that this season will be looked upon as the weakest, and there's a lot of validity to that. But I also think, and this is actually kind of timely now that I'm talking about this, we just got the 20th anniversary of Buffy the Vampires, and people praising it for, for doing what it did for television, but I'm so young enough to young enough to remember, or old enough to remember, depending on where one stands with that statement, of reading articles about Buffy the Vampire Slayer in TV Guide, and after it ended in 2003, of people just bashing the series, and saying how trite and melodramatic it is, or was, and you know how, you know, just how cheesy it is, and now I see these same people, and I'm not going to name because of points. But I see these people 20 years later like, singing the praises of Joss Whedon and singing the praises of Brother Vampires later when they're the same ones 20 years ago that were bashing the series. And I think that's what we're going to get with Iron Man. It's not a guarantee, but I definitely believe that 20 years down the line, people are going to, or even like, not even 20 years, two or three years, going to be praising Iron Fist for its beautiful visuals, for its, you know, interplay between characters. Because even if it, and I think that's the problem here. I think that's the main problem. People like, do not like the characters that they're seeing on the screen. So they're just going to disregard the in, the great interaction scenes between the characters. And going into these characters, I have to say, like I said earlier, Finn Jones may have been the weakest character development. And I think it's because, and I have to give Jim David a credit for this over at IGN, because I think he hit the, the nail on the head. And something that hardly no one's talking about. A lot of these Netflix slash Marvel television shows do not need to be 10, 11, 12, 13 episodes. I'm sorry, you can get... I think if Iron Fist was 8 episodes, I think audiences would be more receptive to it if they combined story arcs and made these episodes like 2 hours long. I think they be, would be more receptive to, to, to this story because I, and I think the biggest perpetrator of this is either Jessica Jones Season 1 or Daredevil Season 2. I think Daredevil season one is the only one that one that it was actually validated to have a season that was 13 episodes but even validation validation by a slim margin for Daredevil season one because there were a lot of because epi- there were one or two episodes in Daredevil season one that I was like do we really need this storyline at this moment and I said that a lot in Daredevil season two and a lot in Jessica Jones one I do think that if Iron Fist was eight episodes I think it would be more more widely received than this 13, because a lot of these episodes, 7 through 13, drag on a lot. And I think, speaking again of the character of Danny Rand, I think if we got to the end of the season a lot sooner than we did, I think people would be more receptive to him, or maybe not. But I thought his, like, up and down roller coaster of emotions was interesting to watch. I think that Finn Jones played the kind of harsh reality of what it could be to be an outsider wherever you go. I think it was very interesting to see his reactions to the realization of what the Iron Fist 
is, is supposed to be and who he as Danny Rand really is. Not a lot of people picked that up. Not a lot of people were interested, but I really was interested. I liked how he played, not so much the action scenes in the last episode, but I really liked how he played the emotional roller coaster in episode 13 when he realizes what kind of predicament that he's now entered into. And I loved his scene with Colleen at the, the, what I like to call the hand school for gifted youngsters. I'm sorry, this looked exactly like the Xavier X-Men school. And it didn't help that Bakudo really looked like, like a walking invasion, invasion of the body centers version of Charles Xavier, or even the Shadow King, because I got a lot of Shadow King vibes from Bakudo. But I love the realization when Danny figures out where he actually is and who Colleen Wing actually is. I thought that was one of the best, like, just act, acting scenes in the entire season. I love the heartbreak in his eyes because, and this is also related to something that we see in episode 7 or 8, I can't remember, because I had to apologize to our audience. One of the negative things about this back half is a lot of these episodes, kind of like Angel, Joss Whedon's Angel season 4, blend together so much that you really can't tell what happened where because the story seems to blend in after a while. But I love the realization on Finn Jones' face or on Danny Rand's face when he realizes who Colleen Wing is, what is actually going on here, and why she suddenly turned on a dime in episodes six to wanting to help Danny in his quest to fight the hand. And I just love the heartbreak on his face because, and, and I'm trying to be as professional as possible when talking about this, the sex scene between Danny Rand and Colleen Wing that was one of the most passionate, you know, just emotional sex scenes that I've ever seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You don't see a lot of them in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, even in this, in this darker street level part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I just love the almost innocence of Finn Jones playing that scene where he asks Colleen, can I actually, you know, make love to you? And, and you see that heartbreak, and that compounds the heartbreak, I should say, when Danny Rand realizes that Colleen is a member of the Hand, that Bakudo basically told her to start this karate school to basically train soldiers for the Hand, and he realizes just how messed up of a situation that he's in. Because Danny, I feel, and I think this is why Madame Gao says this in episode 7 and 8, and really throughout the back half of the season, why she thinks he's a bad this because he will not fully commit to the cause. He will not fully commit to being Iron Fist. And I think that's why some of the viewers don't like the character of Danny Rand. But I I like the confliction. I like seeing a character conflicted because to me it makes him more human. But again, I may be one of the minority but I don't really care about that because I have a right to my own opinion just like the critics do, just like you the listeners do. So if you like Danny Rand for the same reasons I do, great. If you like him for different reasons, great. If you don't like him very differently great but I I think Finn Jones did a wonderful job especially doing this back half of the season um I will say this though the one negative thing I will say 
about Finn Jones' portrayal as Danny Rand in the very end, at the end of episode 13, when we see Kunlun basically ransacked and destroyed. I didn't really get the emotion. And this is on the writers more than Finn Jones. Of what was so important about Kunlun? Why did Danny leave? Because he never, he never verbally confirms or even explains why he left Kunlun. Like, he never tells, like, the truth, even the Davos, which who I'll get into just in a couple seconds, but you never get the importance of Kamran in the, in the series, and I think that was a disservice to the writers, and I think it's one of the, one of these situations where, and you see this in the last few episodes, this is going on a different, this is going on a different topic, excuse me, but you understand by the end of the season why Colleen Wing and Danny Rand will just never be a couple. You do, and Claire, Claire Temple even says this to Danny and to Colin, that you understand why Danny Rand will po- possibly, more than likely, if one follows the source material, and I'm sorry, sorry if this is a spoiler to a lot, Danny Rand does fall in love with Missy Knight, who we, who we met in the Luke Cage series. And I think, it's not just because it's the hand, because I don't think Colleen really trusts herself very much, and we'll get into Colleen right now. Jessica Henwick, who played Colleen Wing, or as I said in last week's show, Colleen Hot Wing. I thought, it, I thought if the writers put this much effort into everybody's character development as they did in Colleen Wing, I think this would have been a, a much more well-received season by viewers and by critics because Jessica Henwick totally bamboozled me, totally, to, totally pulled the wool over my eyes just like she did Danny. Because if you go back and track this, you understand why Colleen, at the very beginning of this season, wants nothing to do with Danny Rand. Yeah. He's weird. Yeah, he's like a little bit, well, not a little bit, a lot forthcoming about his points of view and his like physical actions. But you understand why Colleen does not want to be around Danny because she's been attracted to Danny at least physically from the very beginning. As the season progresses, she falls more and more in love with that Danny, and you understand why she's street fighting and or cage fighting for money because she knows her role. As a member of the hand, as, as a member of the hand, she's supposed to m- make Danny trust her, so he will be more than willing, or the or the or to make the Iron Fist more more to be more specific, more than willing to be in service of the hand rather than against it. And you understand why she's she being Colleen Wayne fighting not not to just do a Matt Murdock fighting with the inner devil that's inside of her, but more so. To, to, to kind of weigh out her justification for doing what she does later on. Danny, cause at her core, Colleen Wing is not a bad person. She's loyal to Bakudo because Bakudo is the one person that took her in when everybody else threw her away. Much like Grant Ward in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with, with John Garrett. May you risen, may you risen peace, Bill Paxton. It's one of those, it's one of those situations where you, you don't want to betray your mentor and in this case, your Sensei, and you don't want to dishonor the code that you swore by, but there's a little part in the back of your mind that tells you what you're doing here isn't right. What you're doing here isn't isn't the best for everybody, even though that's what you've been told. And deep inside of her, she knows Danny's right. But I love how 
And it's absolutely brilliant that if you go back to, to various points in this first season, what Colleen is actually doing. And the interesting thing is, or one of the interesting things I think about Colleen's character is that the, is that the students that she's been training all this time are more, are more zonked by the hands message than even she is. You see why at the very beginning of the season, one of her students is very trepidatious about going to the university or of, of the the hand that we of the hand we later find out because they're not sure whether or not what they're doing here is correct and I find that absolutely amazing just because I love that kind of dramatic art. Before I forget, one thing that I wanted to mention was the kind of inner struggle between Madame Gao and Bakudo for who is going to take the leadership role or the president role in the group The Hand. This makes The Hand not so much different than Hydra in the sense of cut off one head, two more shall take its place. But that doesn't mean the two that take its place are going to be cool with the other. Meaning Bakudo wants to take over The Hand for his own purpose and Madame Gal wants to take over the hand for her own purposes. And before, I, well, I'll get, I'll get to that in just a second, but I love how evil people within an evil organization really just want to further their own their own doctrine and their own purposes. Because even, because Madame Gal and Bakuda are basically saying the same things about each other. That that's the bad version of the hand. That, no, no, in actuality, the other guy is the bad version of the hand. And it's not that much different to me than than white supremacist groups in this country and in other countries saying that they've evolved, that they've modernized, and that they don't want to kill other races, they just don't like other races. And this is really embodied with the character Bakudo because he's trying to convince Danny and in some ways Colleen Wing that the hand is not the hand that Danny was raised to destroy. That the hand is something, is trying to be something better than it was. And we we later find out at the end of the season with Bakudo that that is absolutely incorrect. But I loved Madame Gao in this back half of the season. It wasn't a huge shock to find out what we find out between Harold and Wendell, Wendell Harold Meacham and Wendell Rand of what actually happened. I don't think it, but in all honesty, I don't think it's supposed to be shocking to find out what actually happened between those two and that Madame Gao was behind it. I did like in episode 7, uh, I'm sorry, episode 8, when Danny Rand is is presented the choice to either capture Madame Gao or to kill Madame Gao, and we actually see that wonderful look on Madame Gao's face of fear, because we have, really haven't seen much fear in Madame Gao at all through the street level of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so to see her actually afraid of something was actually very refreshing and very, very shocking. But going back to Pakuda for just a second, I really, really enjoyed the performance that played Pakuda. I don't have his name offhand, but I have to give major props to him as a performer because when we first get introduced to him earlier in the season when he's having tea with Colleen Wing, you just think that he's just a sensei to Colleen Wing. You don't think he's anything more to Colleen Wing than that. And then we, when we find out that Dan, that he knows more about the Iron Fist than even Danny Rand does, and he gives Danny the necessary tools that he may need to fight the hand later on, even though that's not Bakudo's real mission. His mission, of course, is to get the Iron Fist working with the hand. I loved his almost Reverend Jim Jones or 
David Koresh kind of co-leader thing of trying to make Danny believe that the hand isn't what it is. And until we get into the the, the end of the season when we see Bakudo actually loses cool a little bit and we actually see what his actual intentions are. He, Bakudo does a great job of making you want to believe that he is a good guy even though we know he's not. It was just, it was so, it was so heartbreaking for me to see Bakudo bite the dust at the end of the season. But, but we may see him again because, and we'll get into this in a second when we're talking about, um, Harold Meacham, but I, I thought his character was so interesting and so maniacally, coldly evil that I hope that we see him again. Probably not, but I liked how his, I, I, I liked his performance overall in this season. Going to the Meachams, I, I love the Meachams. Sure, they're stereotypical soap opera characters. Sure, they can be a little bit overly dramatic. Sure, they can be a little bit overly melodramatic. A little bit overly... I'm sorry, I just realized what I said. Um, I understand that they can be overly melodramatic, but that's the point. Like, they... Like, like, they were consistently the one characters that were advertised as such and stayed that way through the majority of the season. I want to, I want to mention Joy because she's a very easy, easily forgotten character in this story just because of the nature of the writing. I thought that the actress who played Joy did a wonderful job and you understand why at the end of the season, why she's basically done with everybody. You understand why she, she loathes her father she loathes, she kind of detests her brother, and she has antipathy towards Danny Rand, because, let's be honest, since Danny came back, her world got turned upside down. Everything she thought was true was turned upside down, and sure, she would have found out the truth if Danny had come back to New York City or not, but the fact that all this bad stuff seemed to happen, and Danny Rand was at the center of it, doesn't make Danny a likable person to join me to, and, which is ironic, and also why why like she has so much hatred or detest or loathes Danny because she's the one that welcomed Danny Rand back to Rand to Man Enterprise. Or yeah, I'm sorry, Rand Industries, Rand Enterprise, Rand Corporation. Yeah, it's the Rand Corporation. I'm sorry. All these industry comic book names seem to blend blend after a while, guys. Forgive me. Some reviewers may say it came out of nowhere, Joy's Joy's revelation or Joy's declaration at the end of the season, but I think if anybody else was put into the position that Joy was put in, especially through episodes 10, 11, and 12, 13 of this, of this season, I don't think they would have reacted any differently towards Danny Man and to everybody involved. I have to say this before I forget. Um, David Wenham as Harold Meacham did such an amazing job, I thought, making it unclear whether or not you can trust him, who he is, what he is, what his intentions are. I loved his return, and I love that opening shot of you, of him rising out of that koi pond or whatever, or river that Ward Meacham put him in, and I was just thinking this the whole time when he was rising up out of, out of, out of that body of water, because it looks so reminiscent to this. I would have expecting Kermit the Frog to sing, why are there so many songs about rainbows? I'm sorry, it looked like the beginning of the Muppet movie to me, just how the camera and just have it stayed in the water and we got an answer to how and why Nobu was able to come back in season 2 of Daredevil 
the Harold Meacham gave made a deal with the hand to essentially never stay dead. And I love the reaction from Lord Meacham when he realizes that his father is still alive. However, even though Harold Meacham can never stay dead, part of his soul or part of his humanity, what makes him human, gets gets taken away every time he comes back. And we see this in physical manifestation when he's very short with people. But also, and this is one of the creepiest things I've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the scene with the ice cream and his assistant may be, well not maybe, the most chilling thing we've seen since Wilson Fisk's rage in the first season of Daredevil, and even the scene in Daredevil Season 2 when he's literally bouncing Matt Murdock's face off that metal table. Carl Meacham, to me, was a very captivating villain. Maybe not the best dialogue, but very captivating. And I love in episode 13 at the very end, we see what Harold Meacham has actually been doing, and we're seeing that all this time he was waiting for Dane to get rid of Bakudo, get rid of Menom Gal, so he could take over Man the Man Corporation. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's not like I didn't see that coming, but, but the execution of it I thought was very, very good. Ward Meacham, I have to give this performer a lot, a lot of but a lot of credit because of how his character evolved, devolved, morphed, morphed over time. And I loved how at the end of the season, how he and Danny have kind of reconciled their differences and actually have become like trusted friends where they weren't even that when they were kids. Because you understand that Ward, Ward is that guy at the end of the day that does want to do good, that has a very clear vision, that does want to protect his loved one. That does want to do the right thing, and you wonder, and, and even though it was brutal, it, it only was a matter of time until he wanted to murder his father. And when he actually does it, that was one of the best scenes that I've seen. Not just the the murder scene itself, but also also the kind of shining like flashback effects of seeing blood everywhere, seeing his father everywhere. And I love how he just how the actor played the kind of confliction and the kind of worry that he got about his father's death and how he he and Joy Meacham played the kind of brutal vulnerability that they they both have when they see their company being taken away from them by that board of directors. I thought that was absolutely some of the most, not heartbreaking, not emotionally wrenching, just unnerving things that we've ever seen from two characters that, true, not a lot of people liked, but at the same time you, I empathize with them just because out of everybody in this season and there's uh, there's more characters than one would think about in this season even though it's only centered around like five or four or five people but you understand that the, the, the Meacham's Joy and Ward in this case really are the innocent they had nothing to do with any like Harold Meacham's been pulling Ward's puppet strings for deck for like almost a decade, a, a decade and a half, and to see Ward Meacham come closer from the the jerk that we saw him in episode one to this more complete businessman by episode thirteen when Danny leaves, I thought it was one of the more, more compelling storylines throughout this first season. 
One of the weakest though, and I think unfortunately this was by design, and I'm and I'm sorry because I love this performer. I liked Rosario Dawson as Clark Temple in the season. I didn't love her. Not Rosario Dawson's fault, I want to say, because once again she's playing just like the standard night nurse who's patching people up. She had she had nowhere near the the emotional stripe or the storylines that she had in the cage or even in Daredevil season two. I loved the homages or Easter eggs to Luke Cage. I love that we see that Luke has been writing Claire Temple from his prison in Georgia since he got locked up at the end of Luke Cage season one. I love that scene where Colleen and Claire have a confrontation because Claire finds out that Colleen is is in the hand and of course we also see Claire's and we saw this and this is something we forgot or I forgot to say in last week's episode that Claire knows who the hand is because of Daredevil season two. She's seen what the hand is capable of, and she's obviously disgusted with what Colleen has been doing. I love that she's the one that kind of gets Danny Danny's head on straight when she she basically tells him your innocence is the is the one thing that's most enduring about you, and your good nature is are the two things that are most enduring about you. But they're also your greatest weak because you're not willing to tap into what it takes to be the Iron Fist and. For her to, for Claire to say that, and she doesn't even realize what the Iron Fist even really is, but for her to say that, th- that was so powerful. And I love how, and I love how Madame Gao just, like, I don't know if it's powers or just being around for hundreds of years, she knows why Claire Temple has been helping Luke and helping Daredevil and helping Iron Fist. Because, like we've seen on Age of the Shield, like, people without extraordinary powers or gifts wanting to be extraordinary by proxy by being around the superpower people. Unfortunately, I don't think this is, this is Rosario Dawson's best portrayal as Claire Temple, but I think it's because because the focus was supposed to be around other people, which is unfortunate, but hopefully she gets more to do in the defensive. I have to say the reintroduction of Jerry Hogarth at the tail end of this season was one of my favorite things in this back half of this season. Just because you realize, and, uh, and once again, like I said last week, um, Jerry Hogarth is a despicable human being for doing what she did to both her lover and her ex-wife. Wanting to do what she did, wanting to do what she was going to do with Hope Slotman's baby in the first season of Jessica Jones. But you understand that she's trying to make amends for that by helping Danny and I love how she's she's like really really the the viewers at, at that moment in the alley when she's trying to help Danny get the information he needs to take down Harold Meacham and I love the line from her that Wendell Meacham Wendell not Wendell Meacham Wendell Rand told told Jerry, Jerry Hogarth to not trust Harold Meacham or maybe that's just a vibe that she got off of Harold Meacham when she had Super Land. I I thought for what she had, she did a wonderful job. I can't wait to see I can't wait wait can't wait to see Miss Moss in the Defender series. I think she's going to do a wonderful job. It's going to be interesting to see how she's going to deal with Daredevil, Luke Cage, and seeing Jessica Jones 
Before I forget, I need to mention these great, great, great Easter eggs. Probably some of the best Easter eggs we've seen in the street level MCU. Once again, we see the a picture of the man of Marvel, the one and only Stan the Manly, in the alley when Jerry Hogarth is walking towards where, where Team Iron Fist is meeting up. We see a photo of Stanley. I thought that was wonderful. I love the line from Joy Meacham that she hired a private investigator to spy on the other board, me board members to gain them to gain the Meacham's leverage to take back the Rand Corporation and you don't really understand why that private investigator is important until she says a line. She, w she was a good private investigator when she's sober and obvious reference Jessica Jones and once again another mention of the gr of, of Karen Page working at the New York Bulletin and, and the fact that Karen, um, I, I am was a Karen Moss, but Karen Page moving up the ring so quickly at the New York Bulletin. I thought that was a great, thought that was a great, great, great crop of Easter eggs. I think, I think the characterization of Colleen Wing and all these great Easter eggs is probably the best part of this season. But going towards the end, I have to, I have to, I have to mention before we get the, the character of Davos. First of all, I have to say about Davos, I think they should have introduced him way earlier than they, than the writers did in this season. I think they did the character a bit of a disservice by introducing him so late in the, in the season. But with that said, I loved the performer that played Davos. I loved how it wasn't exactly Loki, it wasn't exactly, um, Carl Mordo from Doctor Strange, but it follows that same kind of path of the Harry Osborns, of the Carl Mordos, of the Lokis, the close, the close confidant, who later turned out to be the exact opposite of, of the main character. And it's, it's something that Tom Hiddleston did as Loki, and it's something that I don't know, I don't know if it landed as well. I mean, it didn't land as well. But she would tell Edgy Ford tried to do his best in Doctor Strange, that him saying that Davos saying, I wanted to be the Iron Fist, I didn't want it to be you, but the fates did choose you, but then you turned your back on me, you turned your back on Kunlun, and that's not fair, I want that power, you don't deserve that power. It may seem petty, not not my partner Michael J. Petty, but petty reasonings for Davos to, to turn his back on Danny, to want to ruin Danny's life, but it's, but it's very human, and it's very relatable, and I find that interesting, because Davos in the majority of this back half of the season is trying to tell Danny, remove everything of Danny Rand and just be the Iron Fist. Just, just embrace who you're meant to be. And it's not that Danny doesn't want to embrace being the Iron Fist. I think of all the emotional ups and downs and topsy-turvy things that he's had with his emotions more than welcomes the idea of being the Iron Fist. But at the same time, he's in this mode of, I don't know who I can trust. I don't know what is reality and what is fantasy? I don't know what's truth and fiction, but I do know I'm I, I'm I'm supposed to be the one to stop it. And you see why or what Danny Rand could turn into if he embraced the arm. Davos, at least structurally, at least character-wise, would be a more apt choice to be the Iron Fist. But I think, and this wasn't even, this wasn't in the dialogue. 
or in the stories that we saw too. But I think one of the reasons why he survived his battle with the dragon one why the dragon branded him to be the Iron Fist was he could be more than just a weapon, more than just a, a tool to destroy the hand. He could be a hero. And that's what the and that's what the Iron Fist is supposed to be. But Davos can't see this because he's so filled with envy, he's so filled with greed, he's so filled with wrath that he can't see that. And if you can't be the hero, then you have to be the one to destroy the hero. So the so the hero's reflection doesn't reflect reflect badly on you. I mean, and this is not just solely to Marvel. We've seen this in many incarnations through popular fiction or through historical fiction of the one that is chosen and the one that's not. And I think what works with Davos is that scene in the rain where where Davos, Colleen Wing, and Danny are having that yelling match between each other. And the fact that, and I think we'll see this in a in an Iron Fist season two, Davos being a, a much more fleshed out character and a much more of our arcing villain. At least I hope so. I have to say this before we move on. That scene where Davos first emerges, and, or or at least emerges Danny, because we don't know that, 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 that for sure that that's Davos in the food truck when he first arrives in New York City. But when he breaks out Danny from the, from the hands compound, and we see that awesome fight, that is one of the best fights we've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe street level. I don't know if it will be that great first hallway fight in Daredevil Season 1, or my favorite, the jail fight between all the prisoners and Frank Castle from Daredevil Season 2, but stylistically, I thought that was one of the best episodes of action we've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe street level. I, I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. In closing, I want to say this. Is Iron Fist the weakest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe street level that we've seen on Netflix? Unbiasedly, yes, he, he is the do I think it would have been better to Iron Fist this, Iron Fist, then Luke Cage, then the Defenders? I haven't seen this online anywhere, but yes, I think that would have been a more apt choice. I think that, I think that would have been a more, I think, I think for storyline purposes, I think it would have made a lot, a lot more, a lot more, a lot better, I should say, storytelling sense to do it that way, but I understand why Jeff Loeb and the people on Marvel Television chose to do it this way, because it leads better into the, into the Defenders. It wasn't a big shock to hear Harold Meacham was the one that caused the plane crash to go down, and what happened to the Rand family to happen. That wasn't a big shock, but I don't think it was supposed to be a big shock. I I thought I thought the the ending fight scene was a little bit superhero cliched, but it it did what it was supposed to. Do. It got it got us where it needs to be. Was the last episode the best episode of this season? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I still think the best episode of this season we mentioned it last week was episode six, the episode that Riza of the Wu Tang Clan directed. I love the homage to Game of Death, the Bruce Lee film. I love that episode. I do think the finale was a little flat, but I do not think it is the worst thing that Marvel has put out. I do not think it is the worst thing that the MCU has put out. Do I think it's the weakest of, of the Marvel Cinematic University level? Like I said, yes. Could it have been handled better? Yes. D does a lot of the blame go to Finn Jones? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because he's playing a role, he's reading the words that are on scripts, that's not 
his call to have it turn out the way it did. It, it's the fault of the producers. It's the fault of the writers. It's, it's the fault of the showrunner. It's the fault of everybody that's not him because he was hired to do a role. I'm I'm looking forward to the Defenders. I do think I do think this was kind of an awful thing to happen before Defenders because a lot of people I know who are looking forward to this to this series. I understand why they're disappointed. I understand why they think it's awful. I I would I would concede the point of the critics and some of the fans that we didn't see enough action. I completely understand that. I completely understand now wanting to see melodrama in a in a in a show that was supposed to be advertised as an action series. I completely understand that. But all in all, I still enjoyed most of the season. Uh, I give it a three out of five. Not bad, but not really great either. Uh, but I still can't wait to see the Defenders leads. And with that, let's roll that pre-recorded close. Good editor across the airways podcast. Good network website. Across the airways dot com. that's across the airways dot com. You can check out all of our podcast shows. Available as their own individual program. Get the iTunes store. Okay, Google Play Store. Guys, for the podcast shows, Color Network, we have the DC Nation podcast. Located at DC Nation across the airwaves.com okay, that's dcnation.across the airwaves.com which reviews popular DC comic related TV shows and movies there's also the Marvelverse podcast located at marvelversepodcast.across the airwaves.com okay, that's marvelversepodcast.across the airwaves.com which reviews Marvel comic related TV shows and movies okay, we also have Throats Cat car podcast dedicated to reviewing episodes on HBO's Game of Thrones which is available at the website throatscast.across the airwaves.com okay, again that's throatscast.across the airwaves.com okay, in addition to these programs you can listen to the original Across the Airwaves podcast, which is accessible at acrosstheairwaves.com, which reviews TV shows not related to superhero, core game of thrones, like The Walking Dead, Doctor Who, Star Wars Rebels, Supernatural, and more, including sitcoms such as The Midnight Theory, Got the Muppets. Also, you can listen to Across the Airwaves, the DC Nation podcast, Thronescast, the Game of Thrones podcast, the Marvelverse podcast, Got the Mixed Radio State, Code by Jack Rice, Stitcher Radio, or if you use Apple devices, download the podcast box. Got if you're on a Windows or Android device, you can download our app from the Amazon market, Got the Windows market, Got a regular Windows or Windows Phone app. Because for how you can contact us to give your own listener feedback on the TV show you review, provide suggestions on how we can improve your podcast listening video, or just want to say do you like what we're doing, email us at acrosstheairwaves.gmail.com Again, that's acrosstheairwaves.gmail.com Comment on our Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at acrosstheairwaves. There's no vibe. It's just across the Join our circle at Google Plus or leave us a voicemail by calling 773-809-336 Again, it's 773-809-336 Also, with sending us an email, please mention which podcast show you're directing the message to. Get the subject Give you our sending us Christopher feedback once to cause the air. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies, get television events. Along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel is a great source for panels for past comic and it will be a great resource to find videos related to the Comic Con taking place in here this summer to go along with our Comic Con special. Okay, there are no spoilers because we just finished up the season. Thank you for joining me. On behalf of my fellow Across the Airwaves co hosts, Michael J. Petty, Nico Reichstick, James Hapel, our fearless leader Nikki Amy, Steve Nostro. Please follow us on, on social media, on Facebook, Across the Airwaves, on Google Plus, Across the Airwaves, on, on Twitter at, at Across Airwaves, and please use the hashtag Marvelverse Podcast. Or if you have any comments about this season of Iron Fist, please use the hashtag Marvelverse Podcast, along with the hashtag Iron Fist. Please email us at Across the Airwaves at gmail.com, Across the Airwaves at gmail.com. And if you have any thoughts about Iron Fist, please put in the subject one iron fist comments and please as always keep it civil and we will read it on the air the question that some of you may be wondering 
when will we do another Marvelverse podcast? The answer to that question is this. I have no idea. Honestly, I don't know if we're going to do another podcast until Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. returns to finish out their fourth season. And according to my season pass that I have on my TiVo, that is going to happen in about two or three weeks at the time of this recording. And unless Marvel Studios slash Sony Entertainment decides to drop another Spider-Man Homecoming trailer or and or Marvel Studios decides to drop a Thor Ragnarok trailer, I doubt we will do another episode of the Marvelverse podcast before AOS returns to finish out the fourth season. In the event that we do do a special podcast episode of the Marvelverse podcast, please use the hashtag Marvelverse podcast on Twitter and, and tweet at us at Across Airwaves, or please email us across the airwaves at gmail.com. Use the subject line Marvelverse podcast and email us your questions about each of S.H.I.E.L.D. about the Marvel Cinematic Universe or anything Marvel related. If we do a special episode and if a trailer drops for either Thor Ragnarok or Spider-Man Homecoming, I will definitely be on Twitter to promote that we are doing an episode because I really, really want to see a Thor Ragnarok trailer and I wouldn't mind seeing another Spider-Man Homecoming trailer. Not that I don't like Spider-Man, I love Spider-Man. In my opinion, in my opinion, I think he is the greatest superhero of all time, the most popular superhero of all time. It doesn't matter whether it's DC or Marvel, that's my opinion, but I really, really want to see Taika Waititi's take on Thor with Thor Ragnarok. Thank you for listening to me, guys, and we will see you next time on the Marvelverse Podcast. We miss you, Dan Schmidt. We love you, Dan Schmidt. Excelsior!